Welcome to episode 115 of On The Schmooze. Let's do this. Welcome to On The Schmooze, the podcast that highlights talented people from different fields, explores how they built strong networks, and overcame challenges on their way to becoming successful leaders. Now here's your host, Robbie Samuels. What's stopping you from sharing your brilliance with the world? That was the question I wanted to ask my client. We had been discussing the logistics of her MVP, Minimally Viable Products, and I had helped her overcome every objection she could think of. We made the RSVP goal smaller. We figured out a free venue. We discussed how to survey participants before the event so she could tailor it to their needs. We talked about how she could also speak to her participants before the event so she could build rapport with them and learn more about how she could help them. We figured out a stripped down RSVP process that wouldn't require a lot of technical know-how. We planned out when to send the invitation to her email list and who could give her feedback about her event description. Any and every objection had been addressed. Yet, she was not enthusiastically running forward with her idea, an idea she had been talking about for months and not taking action on. So I told her a story about a friend who had received a ton of advice about her business from well-meaning colleagues who never stopped to ask what was holding her back from taking her business to the next level. This friend had been nearly doubling her business three years in a row and was feeling stuck at a current plateau, not knowing how to break through to the next level. I congratulated my friend on all of her success and pointed out that she was a smart and savvy businesswoman. And if she really wanted to do more, she would be doing it. Something was stopping her. And that's when she finally shared what was holding her back. See, she was worried about how her insecure partner was going to feel about her making more money than them. Well, I said, then you're not going to commit to the work you need to do until you've addressed this concern, or you'll need to redefine what success is and be content with where you are. I told my client that it's easy to tell people, you just need to do this or that, but helping them uncover the block that's preventing them from taking action, that's a different skill set. My client took this all in and then shared what deep down was holding her back. It was an old wound that she thought she had dealt with, but was quickly realizing that that was what was causing her to drag her feet. Your challenge for this week. Have you been struggling to move a project forward? Are you telling yourself a story about how external issues are the reason? Is that a true story or is there more to it? If every one of those obstacles was resolved, would you still be holding back? If so, then that needs to be addressed before you can make real progress in your business. Or you need to redefine success and just stop dragging around this to-do item that you never intend to do. That will free up psychic space to work on something that you are truly committed to. Try this and let me know how it goes. Now, on to this week's show. Today's guest is a social entrepreneur committed to guiding leaders and organizations to create healthier workplace cultures that resonate with current and incoming leaders. She's an award-winning entrepreneur, dynamic speaker, and diversity and inclusion expert. She founded a strategic leadership and diversity consulting firm that coaches business leaders worldwide on the critical issues surrounding talent and workplace strategy. She's a passionate advocate for social equality and works to help businesses foster healthier and more productive workplace cultures. Her book, Inclusion, Diversity, The New Workplace, and The Will to Change, inspires leadership to embrace the opportunities diversity represents and to empower advocates that drive changes that resonate in today's world. You'll find her sharing more on this topic on her podcast, The Will to Change, True Stories of Diversity and Inclusion. Please join me in welcoming Jennifer Brown. Thanks, Robbie. I'm happy to be here. I'm looking forward to this. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining me from your office in New York City. It's a, it's a Pleasure to have you on here. I loved meeting you and chatting with you. And I thought, this is a person I want to bring on. You know, this is, as you know, a podcast about leadership and building strong networks. So let's start with this. Tell me, what does leadership mean to you? And when did you realize you had the skills to lead? Hmm. Uh, Well, you know, I have to relate this to gender, inevitably. Um, You know, I think that 
I was, as a kid, I was the, the I was a bossy kid. Interestingly, uh, I don't share that very much. I'm a little bit embarrassed by it. <laughs> Although Cheryl Sandberg told me that, you know, never tell her she's bossy. She's has an executive presence, right? Um, <laughs> but I, I was, I do recall wanting to use my voice, be at the front of the room. I had a stage mom and I grew up on the operatic stage and the music theater stage, literally. So I had someone who saw that in me or maybe was just wanting me to be out there to live through me. But I really, I really enjoyed it actually, luckily for me. So I I ate it up and I realized that I, I liked being in front of people, doing things, having the responsibility for that. Um, as at a pretty early age. And, um, but as life goes on and you grow up, I, I think many girls who start out really sure of themselves and perhaps with a healthy ego kind of go through the white water of teenage dumb and young adulthood. And um, I also had a deep passion for affecting the world and, and making a difference. So I always thought I'd be a nonprofit activist. And I still, I mean, it's very much what I do today. I just happen to do it in the corporate setting. Um, that's where I am applying my my activism, I suppose, and the and my purpose. Uh, so so leadership. As I've gotten older, um, I can be in front of the room. I really enjoy being behind as well. I enjoy being in the audience and supporting leaders. I, I mean, I have a podcast, which is my favorite part of my day, which is me interviewing leaders and. I think trying to pull out what they do to present this bigger ex, um, example of, of leadership than I can present because my mine is just one kind. But I do love the whole concept of servant leadership. Um, again, being kind of purpose driven and uh, very much an activist, we have to work through people. You know, um, you have to be. Sometimes you have to be the charismatic leader. Sometimes you need to step back and support others and their voice. And I think particularly in diversity and inclusion, we talk a lot about centering the experience of others lately. And we've been, some of us have been talking about that for a long time, but I think it's becoming more current. And to me, that means that um, my voice doesn't always have to be the one that's explaining things or educating or being seen in front of the room. You know, leadership is, is sort of environmental. Um, it can be subtle. It can be, I can be a leader in, um, I like to think of myself as a thought leader, uh, meaning I'm one of those people in this field that's writing about best practices and stories, right? So people may have never seen me, but I lead through my words and through the stories that I tell, which I hope are educational and shifting people's frameworks and and really like improving our field is my big goal. So I, uh, I think there's just so many different ways of leading. And then I'm leading a company. I'm an owner and a CEO of a company with 20 people in it. <laughs> and uh, that's one of that's like a tough um, managing people, growing a team, developing strategy for a company, making sure that company is you know financially stable and all that is 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 probably not my favorite kind of leadership actually. Um, and I've always been really clear about that that I am much much better suited to be the evangelist leader and the thought leader and a leader through uh, writing and ideas and keynoting. I think. CEOs of companies are have a certain skill set that is something that's still a little bit of a struggle for me, but I do it because because I want our our leadership as a team to reach more people, and the way I've solved for that is that we are a bigger entity than just me. So I'm doing it for a purpose, but it's um it's a little bit more of an awkward leadership hat for me to wear. Well, I I like this this piece that you mentioned a moment ago about leadership is environmental. This idea that it's almost situational, that um, sometimes it requires that you step into the front of the room and like call attention on yourself in order to, I guess, direct people in a certain moment, you know, forward momentum. And other times, it's about stepping back and making space for other people and centering that everyone's attention on them in a way that wouldn't happen if you were always like, no, 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 I will be the one who will <laughs> step up. And it's like knowing when to do that is hard, um, particularly when you're first starting out and trying to suss out like leadership may have always meant to you to be in the front of the room. And now you're like, well, actually, it could also mean this other thing. And let me play with that. And now that you're also talking about sort of managing, which is not quite the same thing, but obviously like and still involves people and still involves giving direction and and there's a leadership aspect in the sense of because it's your company, you're you you are sort of driving the direction of it, but 
only so much as people are willing to follow you. Um, you know, and so it's like inspiring and, and gathering other people's ideas. So I, I very wide ranging and I appreciate that because it's, it is hard to sort of simplify it, but I'm, I'm so curious about this, these early moments when you were saying, um, and it is true, little girls get called bossy for doing things that little boys do every day, um, which is like speak up and, and, you know, have, have some sense of themselves in the room, in the world. Um, but it sounds like you were also given permission to do this. You were almost like raised hmm. to do this. And it happened to resonate with you personally, thankfully, as you said. Um, <laughs> did you take on any kind of official roles or was it more that you were good at just organizing people without a title? Like you, were just, you just knew how to like, I don't know, get people together on the playground or did you actually run for student body <laughs> president or something? That's so interesting. No, because I'm not, um, hmm, many things I'm not, uh, I could talk about that the whole hour. Uh, (laughs) I'm not like super organized and process oriented. Um, I have a mom that's like that. Who's like life's should have been a COO. Um, and I am, I am more of a typical like salesperson, um, like get people excited, but I'm not an organizer of those people, I would say. So, and I think that I think about those roles and strengths a lot, you know, because it impacts how I lead now and kind of staying in my lane and knowing who I need to hire around me to support me, which is a lot of people who love to organize things, a lot of people who love to develop processes and follow those processes. I, I am the wild card, you know, and I, um, I've tried to be something that I'm not, uh, but it's that never works, as we know. Uh, <laughs> and uh, but lucky for me, I mean, when you're the only person in your company, of course, you have to be chief cook and bottle washer and everything, right? You've got to keep it organized. You've got to sell it. You've got to service it. You've got to do, you know, develop your own processes. Um, you've got to be reliable um, and kind of, you know. And I've learned to be super organized, but organizing people is still difficult. And I would say I didn't run for a lot of office. I'd say I, my memories of, are, are, are of being maybe the lead in something, you know, are of, um, you know, facilitating everybody else's performance from an energetic perspective. But I don't think I was like, Oh, you do this and you do that and you do that and everything's going to work perfectly. It was, I wasn't bossy in that way. I think that I, I think maybe the better way to describe it is I felt I had something important to say. And I remember, and I didn't know what that was, of course, until now, I totally understand what it is because that's what I do for a living now. But I always felt like I was kind of watching everything from a different level. I always wanted to be an adult. I always wanted to get out into the world. <laughs> yeah. I was a really precocious kid. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I, uh, I just remember wanting to be like a woman. If I'd had the words, I think I would have wanted to be a woman in business. Like it, but I didn't have any role models like that. I didn't know what that meant. I had no older sisters or brothers. Um, I had no, my father is a physician, so not, not necessarily a business person, um, but very analytical, very scientific and a really good speaker also. So I, I think I, I gained some really important things from both of them. Um, and then I, I just happened to have this extroverted, extroverted stage energy, which appealed to people. And I don't know if that's, um, I think extroverts really get away with so much and we, yeah. you know, we're, we have endless, we have endless energy for other people. Um, and I love to ask questions. I loved to, I was super curious all the time. I love to connect the dots. It seems really um, fitting for the work you're doing today. Like, yeah. What, like what a great, like early foundation. Um, unfortunately you found a way to apply all that. And, and actually this piece about extrovert uh, privilege I actually, I've, ri- I've written about that and I did a podcast episode, which I'll link to in the show notes about extrovert privilege. And I know since diversity and inclusion is so much of your work, it's such been an interesting for me to think about this because I am, I'm not just an extrovert, but I'm an outgoing extrovert. And so um, I just think that because I don't make any effort to be out in the world, it takes no effort for me to be not just out in the world, but seen yes. in the word, world yeah, and, and heard yeah. in the world. And, and then... So therefore that's a privilege because you, you know, if you don't, if you get benefits, because clearly like being out in the world and being seen in the world is a benefit. And there are people who really struggle with that. And I, I've thought about how, you know, it's sort of like male privilege. How do you make space for others um, who maybe don't get access to the stage by like saying, well, I don't need to be on that panel. 
do you know, do you not know anyone else? Like, let me introduce some women in business, like that kind of thing. Um, so, so let's talk for a minute, actually, because such a good segue maybe into what is most rewarding about the work you're doing today? What are some highlights? Oh my goodness. I mean, every, every day we all say on our team, it doesn't, it's not work. I mean, it's really hard work, uh, but it also is such a joy to hold the, hold this idea of inclusion, you know, as something that we know everybody wants, they want to experience it, organizations need it. Um, so we're carrying this, this really incredibly like positive, beautiful concept as our, our orienting principle. Um, and so even if we get small victories where we celebrate them because we realize we're making a difference to even one person, you know, let alone an institution. So it's, it's really such rewarding work and it's really tough work. And I, I think a lot about compassion fatigue. And again, like to your point, not just for me, I mean, I have it easy because I'm an extrovert because I'm the ethnicity that I am because I, you know, like Janet Mock talks about pretty privilege even. I mean, there's like many privileges. Um, when you look a certain way that people expect you or want you to look, you know, which is, we can unpack that. That's totally wrong-headed, but unfortunately it's the way it goes. Um, You can walk into rooms and do things and that other people can't. Uh, So I think we consider it our sacred responsibility to carry this message in whatever package we are in and whatever privilege comes along with that package. I mean, I speak a lot about allies and I talk about all of us have a level of privilege we can use. Um, You know, queer people might still have male privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, or, or appear to have male privilege, right? Depending on how you present your gender. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know, something you know a lot about, I know a lot about. Uh, so, and I present my gender in the way I'm most comfortable, which is a very feminine, a, a sort of feminine normative gender expression. And it's been really interesting to be in the LGBT community and not feel seen by that community per se, because people look at me and they don't, I have to actually disclose that I'm a member of the community and other people may, maybe don't need to. Uh, I need to, to make a point so that I can make sure I don't take advantage of what my friend calls the passing privilege, meaning passing as heterosexual. So, um, that's one privilege I'm, I'm always working with, uh, and thinking about particularly vis-a-vis my own safety, because I present to a lot of rooms full of men, um, in the work I do. And, you know, not just as a Q woman, but a woman, just basically at bedrock, there's like, we're always navigating, like, am I safe? You know, so any level of disclosure of vulnerability, we have to really think about. Yeah. No, and, and, and also making sure that your team is able to do that too. And it's a, it's a lot of work to, um, to, to do this work and to do the self-care that sort of relates to that work as well. Um, so making sure that you're, you're feeling like the, the work moves forward. I mean, I guess one of the questions I have is, because I feel like there's a long view of this work. And, you know, I was at Gay and Lesbian Advocates and Offenders for a decade, and we had some younger staff members who wanted us to be moving more quickly about how we adopted even like, uh, you know, uh, gender-free uh, bathrooms. Like, I, and at first they wanted to just like remove bathroom signs altogether. And then eventually they just like, put, you know, use whatever one's safe for you kind of language in the door. And there were, there were some staff members who wanted it to happen in like, you know, two days. And then there are others who were like, uh, we've been here for 20 years. We need to talk about this. Yeah. And so in my 10 years, that happened. And a lot of other onboarding practices changed. And a lot of, a lot of differences about how we thought about inclusion, um, not just diversity, but actual inclusion. And then we were just getting into more, more of an equity conversation too. But how, how do you help the average uh, person in an office feel like there's some progress being made if in any two-year snapshot, it doesn't feel like there's a lot, but in any decade, there's a ton. Uh, that's, that's a good way to talk about it. Yeah, we need a lot of patience um, in doing this work. And I, I think that, you know, switching your bathroom sign, signage um, without the change management around it, you know, is to me kind of a missing piece. And, you know, you can, I always think about the car with the cold engine and like jamming it into fifth gear and expecting to be able to drive, you know, organizations take a while to, you know, the ideas need to be socialized, education needs to occur and then acceptance happens and then embracing happens. It's a, it's a change process that everybody goes through. And as you know, it's a, um, it can take long, it can take short, it can, depends on the person. Um, it depends, you know, 
on how how skilled the organization and its leaders are in introducing new ideas that might threaten people, make them feel defensive, confuse them, etc. And that's all DNI is all that. I mean, we're dealing with defensiveness and confusion and I don't know what to say and a, a lack of understanding of the problem. <laughs> um, so sometimes I, th- I think we've got to like keep our stakeholders in mind, keep our audience in mind, go back and back to basis, basics and never assume that they're understood. Um, we can get what we want perhaps by applying pressure or ramming through policies or um, we can get 100% on that HRC score. Yeah. Uh, but if I hmm. dug in underneath it, underneath the optics of it and the score and the announcement from the CEO and look how great we are and we achieved this, there's like a total lack of understanding for what it means and what the significance is of it and how did we get here and what were the steps that we went through to bring everybody along. I mean, to me, any change that's going to stick and be sustainable is one where the maximum number of people have been brought along on a journey. So uh, this is really interesting because you brought to mind another uh, sort of visual for me, which is like, you know, flipping on and off a, a light switch is change. Um, you know, you can you can decide we're going to put the lights on and then you can have someone come along and be like, nope, lights off. And the, both of those things are changes. But like the discussion, the change management around, okay, what would be the best lighting for this moment? And then some agreement around that will then have progress, not just change. And I think that's the thing that you struggle with, right? Is sort of like, how do we not just check mark the box that says we did this thing, but have the people really embrace it. I mean, that, that's true leadership. I think what you're talking about is a difficult topic and, and how you coach leaders worldwide. I mean, that's also interesting. The cultural aspects must be um, woven through there as well. Is, is that, I'm, I'm curious, like what is the challenging piece? I mean, everything feels challenging, but what is, what is the sort of overarching challenge as your, your company grew from just you to now, like you said, you've got these 20 employees, you're working globally. Did you sort of see different levels where you were like, oh, we have to be ready now for this. We have to be ready now for this. Like, did it continue to sort of escalate and maybe next plateau, next plateau? Or are you, and are you feeling always the pressure to like keep growing? Because I think you're, no one realizes that you're so much more than just Jennifer Brown. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I mean, when I talked to you, I was like, I had no idea you had the whole crew behind you. But, but is there sort of like, some evolution behind that and challenges as you get to each piece of that? Oh my gosh, yes. And I'm I'm kind of obsessed with the way the way a solopreneur gets to be, you know, an entrepreneur gets to decide to be a CEO and start to hire people and then start to run an organization. And I talk a lot about working on the business and not in the business. So getting to the point where you have trusted team members who are out there, the face of your brand, delivering, selling, marketing. And, you know, you, in my case, you go, you get to go and my, I consider this a privilege to be able to go and like write books, you know, and, and keynote and get the message out. Um, but yes, there are thresholds that you cross as you go down the journey. And I would, I would posit that I'm in the minority in terms of choosing to grow an organization. I'd say most people that I talk to and I mentor never want what I've done. <laughs> they don't want it. I want the headaches. I uh, don't want the responsibility. Um, are afraid, you know, if I take, I earn a dollar and then I turn around and give that dollar to somebody else, is there going to be another dollar that (laughs) that comes in? Like, how do you cross that threshold of knowing you need to hire people? Um, And I, I happened to get a really big client 10 years ago and um, kind of reluctantly created an LLC uh, and you know, did the website and the branding exercise and hired my first person because I knew I couldn't service the client. So it was really a response to a, to solving a problem, but it was a good problem to have. And I knew that, but I knew I felt very awkward about my own leadership to your point earlier in your question. Um, I had never done it before. I'd never run a company before. I didn't know how to price things. I didn't know what cash flow looked like. I mean, there were so many things. And there's not a lot of books that really coach you on how to build a people business from step by step by step. So when you get a big client, you realize I can't be everywhere. I can't service everything with this one client, let alone others that are going to come my way. So I think this is where you know, the faith part kicks in and you say, do I believe there's more here, that this is not the first time that's going to happen and I need to be prepared? Um, or do I want to turn down the work when it comes my way? And I knew that I didn't want to do that. 
So, <laughs> right. I, yeah. So I had to kind of solve for that. And that means staffing up. It means hiring people. I also hired a high level like COO type, CFO, COO, who's the, always been that role that's been a counterpart to me, who's more of the visionary evangelist speaker, thought leader. Mm-hmm. You need someone keeping the trains running on time, developing the processes, um, you know, managing what everybody makes, making sure everybody gets paid. So that's always been a role that I have like right next to me. And it's not a low level person. It's a that's high level so person. That's so important though, because going to what you said earlier about where your true skills and your zone of genius are, um, as they say, it, it's like, you need to be having the space, the mental space, even and not just the time on your calendar, but the mental space to to lead in the way you lead. But someone else still has to manage the like COO kind of piece, like making sure that yeah, all systems are go. Um, so it's super important. I think a lot of people probably probably run into a problem of expanding beyond themselves because they don't take that. Uh, they might have a bookkeeper, they might mm-hmm. have an assistant. But like you, you're saying like there always has to be someone who's on my level who who also help you think about the business because they yes. are on your level oh, yes. and they can have a conversation with you about direction and you know yeah. should we take on this other big project and should we expand into this other territory? I mean, it's hard to do that all in your head and know you're making the right decisions. So Absolutely. that sounds like such I, a I, vertical piece. I found it really isolating. I mean, if I hadn't had someone that was senior that had more experience than I do because uh, most people do, you know, at that point, 10 years yeah. ago. And I would even say, so still today, you know, I don't have anywhere near the sales experience that my head of sales has. I don't have the operations experience that my COO has. Um, I've learned about finance, but like kicking and screaming um, with all of the bookkeepers that I've worked with for years, <laughs> how to read my balance sheet and PL and do forecasts and budgeting. And I mean, I kicking and screaming, honestly, because it's just not... I don't, listen, I don't expect myself to be all things. Um, I think this is so important that you take the pressure off yourself, but know that you need to be really savvy then about making sure that everything's covered. You know, it doesn't mean that you need to do everything. It doesn't mean you need to know how to do everything, but somehow that you're getting the right advice, that somebody's kind of minding these pieces, particularly if you want to grow, um, especially if you want to grow because you'll burn yourself out. Um, I, I think, and investing in a senior person is of course a really big financial investment. It's not the same as just hiring a, a bookkeeper. I mean, a CFO is a senior person, a senior version. Then between that, the CFO, then controller, then bookkeeper, mm-hmm. right? And I've had yeah. all three at the same time. They all do wow. different things. And I didn't know, I didn't know that. Uh, that's new for me. Um, but I, but I quickly learned, you know, that ha- how much, how much support does a company of my size need? To function, who needs to be doing what? Um, what are the roles even in finance? What are the different levels of seniority that you need? Um, yeah, so I, I would have definitely crashed and burned if I hadn't made those early investments in a very knowledgeable operations and finance person wow. who kept me out of trouble. Yeah, who um, you know made sure everything was ticked and tied and allowed me to really go and sell and you know travel and be on the road and. Um, and not go crazy with all the details. Well, I'm, I really appreciate you sharing that piece because I think there are definitely a lot of people listening who are um, entrepreneurs, who are probably solopreneurs that maybe have started to build a team. And I, you know, the advice I got from Dora Clark was like, you know, you need to hire someone before you hire them. Like you need to hire them before you truly need them. Like that's always difficult. Like I, I actually got my first virtual assistant when I was launching a book and I was also speaking more and my podcast, you know, I wanted that to kind of not be on my plate as much. And so I had to make that transition before the money was really coming in because I knew that the time it would take to onboard someone and get all that set up, like it's sort of like too late if you already are like, ah, I can't do it. But that's usually most people like hit that wall and then they're like, oh my, there's no time to hire. <laughs> there's no time to onboard someone. It's so true. And way. I would say to Robbie, for your audience, like start small. You know, I think that we have to think outside the box about how to engage people and really date before you get hitched. <laughs> uh, really, because fit in a small company is so hard to achieve. I mean, I have hired so slowly and I've switched teams so many times. There are a couple of people who are with me 10 years now that are still on my team. But most have kind of cycled through. You know, we were their home for a while, then we weren't. 
Um, they, they needed, wanted other challenges, other things, um, lots of reasons. Uh, and I, so I'd say start slow and, you know, inquire about like, Hey, will you, can you work hourly for a batch of hours, you know, and we can get to know each other. We can see whether we, we work well together, um, with sort of bigger things on the horizon potential. Um, but I think, uh, we get scared about what it's going to cost. We get overwhelmed. Um, I think too, some, some leaders have really big egos and I don't know if they want to hire other senior people. I, I, like it's a, it it requires you to be humbled to someone else's considerable expertise. Yeah. Right. And you've got to be secure about that. And you've got to know that senior people come in and kind of throw their weight around. I mean, that's what they do. They're very experienced. They think they know, you know, they have the senior position. So, you know, how do you interact with them? Particularly if you're the founder. Yeah. Um, are you going to override them? Are you going to partner with them? Are you going to let them lead and go behind? You know, yeah. so lots of questions. And it, yeah, all these questions are it's things like an, it's like an intimacy to... dance all over again. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I actually, because you, because you've had this like cast, uh, rotating cast, uh, of players in your, your team. And because you are working all over the world and you've, you've had such an interesting, I think, I feel like you probably know people kind of a little bit of everywhere, um, and in different kinds of fields, industries, because your work, I, I want to move us into the piece around networking and relationship building. And I want to understand how, how are you uh, making some sort of concerted effort or are you making concerted effort to stay connected with not your closest people, but like that second and third tier out, the people that maybe you used to work with or used to uh, work for you or you met at a conference and you hit it off, but like you're not working with them currently. Do you, do you have any kind of practice or habits around that? Yeah, it's such a challenge. Um, I was just talking to Charles Vogel, who wrote The Art of Community. He publishes with my publisher. And we were talking about the Dunbar number, which is I think you can have 150 connections and really, really keep them and invest in them and keep them intimate-ish you know, where you have a prayer of remembering like what's going on in their lives and whatever. And then it sort of goes out from there. His number is 300, which is his sort of working base. We have 17,000 people on my database and in LinkedIn. And and honestly, many of those, I have literally held their business card and met them over the course of 10 years of running my business. So there are a lot of names on my list where I remember things about people. And if I didn't, I make notes about when I met them in my, uh, contact manager system. So I've, um, I really, I try to take care. Like it bothers me not to remember who someone is and what we talked about and who their family is and, you know, their personality and my impressions and stories, et cetera. So I, I, um, I really consider it a point of pride in it, but it gets bigger than you. And that's, that's okay. That's like one of those things you have to let go of, particularly if you're a perfectionist or you're very relationship oriented, you're really extroverted, but you have a high like integrity about respecting people um, and keeping that high touch as a boutique firm, right? Which is also really important. People want to keep, they want to be able to feel they can reach you. And so we've developed um, certainly podcasts and newsletters and um, using constant contact and things like that to continue to put my, my voice in front of people. Feels like we are spending time together, albeit in a really different way. Um, and I think that that has to be how you, know, how you manage this. Um, and then I think you know, picking and choosing your ca- you know, who, gets, who you have time with on your calendar and balancing that with, you know, me, I'm writing book number two. So literally like there's so many people and coffees that I have set up that I really, I want to have, but I'm now pushing everything off for the next two months so that I can take every single extra moment to do what I need to do on a strategic task. Right. So, um, but, but, uh, Veronica who works for me, who some of maybe your listeners, if they know me and they interact with me, know that Veronica is like my right hand and, She's a woman I've, um, she was my first like executive assistant and she's more, more, more than that. But we've seen each other two years in the, two times in the flesh over five years. Wow. (laughs) (laughs) And she's a busy mom, three young kids, is like a machine. I mean, she and I run my calendar, run my travel schedule. She does all my speaking engagements and arrangements. She is um, everything. And she helps me kind of go through the flow and prioritize and reschedule and move things and massage whatever. And it's, it's, um, 
it's a constant thing for us. It's a huge part of my job is figuring out like all the touch points for people, what kind of rung we're in, where I want to spend time and why. And, you know, being an extrovert, you love everyone. I mean, you, there, you always, I'm an ENFP too in the Myers-Briggs. So, you know, the P part of you means possibility. It means, well, it means perception, but really to me, the P person is the, I'm open to so many things. I love to be, you know, challenged and I like to be introduced to new concepts and there's no like black or white answers. It's all, you know, very like gray. I like the gray area. I like to like have new inputs all the time. So, you know, that can be, it can be distracting um, from the task at hand, which is running your company, doing the things that are going to make you money. Um, right. It could feel like you're getting things done. When yeah. All but it's not the same. 20 coffees this week. And you're <laughs> yes. <just> highly caffeinated. <laughs> totally. <laughs> and you're feeling super charged by all that people energy, but you yeah. didn't actually do the thing like write the book or. It's so like, true. Yeah, have you have to be really careful. You have to be really careful. So, you know, and maybe some of my mentees will listen to this and say, that's why I haven't been able to see Jennifer in a while. But, um, I think if you keep contributing to your field and being generous, um, even if it, that generosity is not a coffee one-on-one, but being generous in terms of contributing to your field of expertise, of making things available and letting your audience know where you are and speaking to them directly in a really personal way, you know, not just in a very clinical way. Mm-hmm. Um, and my my head of marketing, Nikki Groom, helps me do this, which is that kind of very very personal feeling to our communications. That's me. You know, it's not just my knowledge and what I know, but it's me and my, and being vulnerable in those communications and being very, very raw. Um, honestly is something I really am challenged with because I've grown up on the stage my whole life. And you know, you, you are, you want to be raw and vulnerable and relatable, but you also are in charge and professional and you know you have it all together right so I think a good example though because I've just recently in the last few months shifted my um my email to be have this sort of story and then like a quick little personal anecdote and then that sort of leads into a challenge for this week um Mm -hmm. for my audience and it's I like that it's getting like a lot of replies and a lot of engagement Mm -hmm. and even people who aren't replying if they if they see me or we talk online another time, they will comment on the story. Um, and, and I'm so grateful to like have stumbled upon this sort of formula. Um, and it's from Noah Berger. Uh, is it Noah Berger? Um, I will, I'll double check and put his name in the, in the comments. Um, but it's, it's really thinking about um, how to bring yourself sort of into this. Like you said, like that's one way to, to bridge that. Do you, do you also do like dinners or salons or when you're traveling, do you like, arrange to see people or that kind of thing? Because you speak a lot of different conferences. Are you, are you trying to meet up with people? And this is again, expert privilege. <laughs> Introverts yeah. are like, I would never. They're like, no, <laughs> I just want to go back <laughs> to my room. Don't tell anybody that I'm in town. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. And I'm, I'm actually becoming a bit more, I don't know if it's more introverted, but I'm definitely feeling the overwhelm these days of all the people I want to see, need to see. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling a bit, um, mm-hmm. to be honest with, um, with how to manage my energy. I mean, I'm, I'm late forties, you know, I, I would expect these things change and, um, I feel them changing for me. Um, you know, you do the big keynote for 600 people and then you don't join the client for dinner. Like Mm. you just don't, you, you make up an excuse and you say, you know, I want to go back to my room and it's really foreign for me to actually hear myself saying those words. Yeah. so I think it's not that it, maybe it's not a change in introversion, extroversion, which a lot of people would argue is kind of a fixed thing. Um, it is, but it's an overwhelm and it's maybe a self-care piece yeah. where something in even me, something in me says, say no, have some downtime, have some no structure time, have some time where you're not on. Yeah. Because I think you, when you do the, I'm always on piece, and then it's also around diversity and inclusion where you're always educating and always carrying this water mm-hmm. for this conversation in client dinners, on the stage, everywhere, you know, it can, it can be a recipe for some problems. And I know, I know every, anybody who's listening to this, who does this for a living is going to know what I'm talking about, that we, Absolutely. you know, we talk, we, t- we call it emotional labor. Um, and, you know, I take it on willingly 
but it's but the the practice of self care for empath- empathetic people who are purpose driven who are trying to change the world. I don't think we're great at self care. Mm. I know we're not because we just give and give and give, and then we literally use ourselves up, and we have like health problems and crises. Right. And you know, I think we we have to be really good at this, and I'm still learning what that even looks like for me. Um, I'm in the, I think I'm in the baby stages of self-care, honestly, yeah. um, because I've just, I've dedicated my life to something that impacts me personally, you know, as an LGBT person, as a woman, as somebody who f- has felt the sting of these things we talk about. Um, and so I'm healing myself through my work, but, uh, someone on my podcast, I can't remember who said, you can say no, you can opt out. You can, you are allowed to, you have the permission mm-hmm. to step back out of the, out of the arena, you know, and, and literally, I don't know if anyone on your podcast is like, wait a second, I have the permission to do that. You know, you must do that because you're no use to us, you know, without your oxygen mask on. Like yeah. it's, and, and so I think we just, we've got to be really careful and pay attention to the signals our bodies are sh- telling us. And, um, you know, I, I think, yeah, it's such a learning for me and I'm really well, working you've on got it. 30, 30 or 40 more years of doing this, right? Well, so, yeah, that's, so that's I don't want to burn out. Like I got to pace myself, you know, <laughs> when, when you've got this kind of calling, um, and I feel, I feel that same thing. Like, mm-hmm. like retirement will not look traditional for me. No. Nope. Um, you know, like once you know how to do what we do, it's like, you, it'll maybe shift or change or, mm-hmm. but like, it, but how do you, yeah. It's so self-care is super important to just even continue to do and thrive at what you're doing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I hear that little bits at a time you're doing that. So I, one, I think you should acknowledge that you are doing it mm-hmm. and build from the strength of that, as opposed to talking about what you're not able to do yet. You are <laughs> doing you for it. for the coaching. <laughs> you are doing it. I am doing it. I'm, I'm learning and, and I'm You're doing to it a little more all the time. And I do <laughs> wanted to say it was Noah Fleming who taught me the thing about the email. Oh, yes. Okay. Um, so I saw Noah at the Million Dollar Consulting uh, Conference uh, Convention. Um, and, uh, he broke down how he does this Tuesday tidbits, which is basically a little story with a little, um, your challenge this week. And I remember sitting there thinking, oh, I could like, and I don't think of myself as a writer. So I think if, you know, if I can do this, oh sure, anybody can do this. It's so it, true. It's but a that great vulnerability step. and just sharing a little stories and just, you know, but, but hooking it onto a business aspect all the time. Um, it's a fun little creativity, and I think it's it's helping me get ready to write my second book, which I've just started writing. So I think having that exercise That's has exciting. been kind of fun. That's so cool. Um, and you know, if you get stuck, remember, like, you could share with permission. You could share somebody else's story. You could react to a story in the news. You could yeah. think about, like, what's happening in your family right now with your kids and tough conversations or little aha moments. I think um, when I got, I got voice surgery, and I tell this story in my TED Talk, but... I almost didn't tell the story of losing my voice and having to get surgery when I gave my TED because I was like, oh, it doesn't matter. Like what relevance does it have to anybody? And, um, or poor me, you know, mm-hmm. oh, boo-hoo, you know, the world's smallest violin or, you know, just judging, judging, judging. Um, and yet something in me was like, wait a second. I think this is, I haven't quite unpacked what it all means yet, but I'm going to put it out there yeah, as best I can. And then I sort of trusted in the universe to take it and kind of react to it and teach me what it meant mm. because I don't think I, I was in the pain about it and the shame about it. Mm-hmm. And yet since then, it was like eight years ago, it's just been so cool to hear all the diff- different interpretations that come back from it as a metaphor to uh. me. And it has given it meaning and it has allowed me to move through the healing of something that was traumatic. So I think yeah. too, what I'd give, what I'd elaborate on that you just said, which is so awesome is you don't have to have the total understanding of what this means for you. Mm-hmm. It's the art of powerful questions. It's the art of saying, just dropping something there and saying, I would love your thoughts about this. How does this show up for you? You know, and allow it to just wash over you, you know, and allow, allow others to kind of help you unpack the meaning of your life because we can't do this alone. I mean, that's what's so cool about being an extrovert, I think, too, because you're yeah. always like, you're always like bouncing things around. And it's, I know that it's been allowed me to move past some pretty tough stuff. Well, this is great. And I, it brings me to one of my favorite sort of wrap up questions, which is when we're hanging out a, a year from now, and I know I'm going to get a chance to see you. I'm going to look you up whenever I'm in New York City. Um, but we're, we're going to be talking about all that you've accomplished in the previous year. I want to know what are we going to be celebrating? Oh, that's good. 
That's good. I need, I, um, I want to make more space to envision that. <laughs> Number one, you're all, you're still coaching me. This is really good. Uh, I will a year from now, I will have a second book like, like you will, um, and be sort of riding that wave mm-hmm. and, and hopefully, you know, massive sales are not necessarily my biggest benchmark, but you know, that I feel I added something to the conversation and I'm getting amazing feedback and people are saying how much of a difference it's making in their lives. Mm-hmm. And, uh, I hope my consulting business has grown and continues to grow from a revenue perspective. Like we have goals that I, we should be by that time next year, kind of on our way to achieving, um, just to not get too like geeky about it, but we're building like a bunch of online learning for the first time that is going to be a whole new kind of business model and business unit for us. And Mm -hmm. it's going to get our knowledge to lots of people, not necessarily who um, institutions that are paying us for consulting, but it's really a person putting down their credit card or saying, you know, I want to learn with Jennifer and her team and I want to maybe do what they do someday, or I want to just understand what inclusion means to me because I'm a people manager or I'm a community leader and I'm on a board and we're struggling in my church group around attracting, you know, different voices. So, yeah. So I, I, I am excited about that, that direct to consumer uh, product, if you will, that that gets our message to people who can use it in their day to day life, um, and building that and seeing how that goes. So that I hope is up and running. Um, I I think I have a lot of books in me on a variety of topics, also, and so by that point, I'm wondering, hmm, you know, what else can I write about? You know, there's <laughs> mm-hmm. there's so many things. Building a business, consulting 101, um, being a woman, and you know, intersectional feminism, and I always think about. Like I have lots of thoughts for, you know, women and, and sort of the pitfalls for us in terms of building empire building and what gets in our way from a confidence perspective and how is it different for white women versus women of color versus queer women. I think I could write a whole book on the power wow, of yeah. queer women, honestly, um, and the way we do what we do and why that, how that links back to our identity and the experiences we've had in a male dominated business world but also being a part of the LGBT community. Man, so, so for like, you, I think the choices of all this is hard because you need to figure out how to stack all of those yeah. in, in, a, in a stack your successes kind of way um, because I, I know it's all in you and I know it's all going to come out. Maybe not in the next year, but I know that yeah. you're plotting. With the, self, with the self-care woven in. <laughs> yeah, with the self-care woven in and space to think about all this. Well, you've That's got the right. right team. You've got the right mission. I'm, I'm so... Like excited to be sharing your message, and I think what you're doing is really awesome. Not just what you're doing, but you're so consciously sharing how how you're doing it. Because I think other people do want to envision for themselves. So, how can people find you and follow your work? Thank you, Robbie. Um, and this has been great, by the way. So, thank you for having me. Um, let's see, where can people find us? Uh, my my podcast is called The Will to Change, and it is available everywhere you listen to podcasts. Um. And then my book, my first book is called Inclusion, Just That Word, Diversity, the New Workplace, and the Will to Change. And so that will to change piece is what I picked up on for my podcast. And that's available. Um, I typically direct people to Amazon, but it's available everywhere. Second book is coming out in April of 2019, and it will be entitled How to Be an Inclusive Leader. Yay. So it's it will be geared a lot more towards the, I, I always think of the choir and and the people who are outside of the choir, choir might be the people in that inner circle. They're, they're getting it. They're working on it. They're, they are passionate about it. It may not be the book for them. Uh, it may be the book they take and pass along to people mm-hmm. in their lives and their teams and their organizations who may be in that place of resistance and defensiveness or negativity about this conversation, or maybe this means less for me and more for somebody else if right, I make right. that room. So that's really the target audience for book number two. And it's going to be a challenge because I don't think that's really been written about effectively. Like mm-hmm. that group hasn't really been reached and addressed. Um, so, uh, and then jenniferbrownspeaks.com is my speaker website where you can find out more about my keynote topics and how to book mm-hmm. me and you will meet the fabulous Veronica, which, you know, you'd be lucky if you do. <laughs> she's, she's a treasure and everybody like adores her. That's never met her. But, um, so if you need a speaker, I do a lot of that and I love keynotes. The bigger, the better. I enjoy them. I enjoy panels. I like being on them. I like moderating them. Yeah. And uh, 
Yep. And then what else? What else? We also have our consulting firm. So jenniferbrownconsulting.com is the other website we have. And you can read about the team and all of our expertise there and all the kinds of strategy work we do. I work with employee resource groups, which is diversity groups like the LGBT group at a company, women's group, black network. Mm-hmm. network. Um, so you can read about our training services. We do a lot of like unconscious bias training, inclusive behaviors, inclusive oh, yeah. leader training, e-learning, classroom learning, all that kind of stuff. So I think that's everything. And then on Twitter, I'm at, I'm at Jennifer Brown. I'm super active on Twitter. I tend to be a lot more political on Twitter <laughs> uh, because I, you know, vis-a-vis kind of the curation of a brand. Yep. Um, I have sort of a very professional brand. And then, you know, I have my activist self, sure, which yeah. comes out a bit more on Twitter. And then um, and LinkedIn, Facebook, and all the other places, you can look at look for us at Jennifer Brown Consulting. And Instagram, I'm Jennifer Brown Speaks as well. Brilliant. I, we will have all those links in the show notes. Jennifer, it has been such a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for spending the time. Thank you, Robbie. I appreciate this so much. And, you know, I hope this was helpful for your listeners and they learned something about diversity and inclusion, and also why you should maybe go bigger than you think you can. Awesome. Thanks. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jennifer. Such a pleasure to speak with her and learn about her leadership journey. What is your key takeaway from our conversation? Something you'll put into action this week that you'll benefit from for years to come. Share what resonated with you in the show notes at ontheschmooze.com. Look for episode 115. That's also where you'll find all the links and resources from today's episode. If you enjoyed this episode with Jennifer, please share it with your friends and don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss next week's show. Remember, subscribing is always free. Are you a fan? That's awesome. I'd love to read your review on Apple Podcasts. It's easy to find our page at itunes.ontheschmooze.com. Thank you in advance. And I look forward to canting again next week when I'll be interviewing another talent professional about their untold stories of leadership and networking. We'll explore their career challenges, work-life balance, and how they built a strong professional network on their way to becoming successful leaders. Until then, have an amazing week. Thanks for listening to On The Schmooze podcast at www.ontheschmooze.com. That's on the schmooze, S-C-H-M-O-O-Z-E. This podcast is heard along the Marketing Podcast Network. For more great marketing podcasts, visit marketingpodcasts.net.